don't really need my white claw aged. <laughs> aged in a barrel for 10 years. Gross. I feel like... That sounds good with like bourbon, but when you... If they just let White Claw sit in a barrel for 10 years, it would definitely wouldn't taste better later. <laughs> it would just be flat. Yeah. And taste funky. Yeah, it would be full of uh, bugs and mosquitoes. <laughs> Here comes Resi to ruin the podcast again. No, great. <laughs> All right, well, uh, welcome once again to the Raincoat Report. My name is Boss, and I'm here with Jeremy once again. No. Uh, I'm not here with Jeremy once again. That's not my name. What's your new name? I've always just had the same name. You've been getting it wrong for like three months now. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, I know it's Jeremy. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's Jeremy. Hello. Welcome uh, back. Jeremy's completely dissociating now, so we got that going for us. Yeah dissociating i have to move back in with my mom oh yeah yeah life's so, tough life's real tough uh especially when you make it tough yeah um putting a global pandemic on top of that definitely doesn't help yeah um well here we are to talk about pornography it's the <laughs> last stable thing in my life yeah 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 all right well <laughs> Well, uh, in good news, we're here today to talk about a very interesting film, uh, The Naughty Victorians. Oh my. Jeremy's got his uh, pinky finger up. That's how you know it's classy. <laughs> oh yeah. It doesn't feel classy drinking a white claw with your pinky out. <laughs> it just still feels like you're trying to watch your weight, but also get wrecked. Yeah, I think that generally speaking, it's hard to class up White Claw. Now in a pre-distressed can. <laughs> we call it aged. No. Oh, okay. Are we talking about the Naughty Victorians? Yes, yeah, so today we're going to talk about the Naughty Victorians, which is a... Or an erotic tale of a maiden's revenge. Indeed, an erotic tale of a maiden's revenge. Um, it is a 1975 film directed by Robert Sickinger, or as he's credited, Robert S. Kinger. Oh. You know, <laughs> a lot of people uh, decide to uh, do pornography under pseudonyms, but Robert Sickinger definitely didn't stretch too far for his. No. So uh, it is quite an interesting film that we're going to dig into. Uh, it's an adaptation of the uh, technically Edwardian-era book, The Way of a Man with a Maid, uh, which was believed to be first published in 1908. This is an interesting film in the sense that I actually heard about it a few years ago. Um, there's an episode of the Rialto Report where Ashley West and Dr. Laura Marks interview a few people about it and at the time it wasn't available in home video in any great quality mm -hmm. uh, the versions out there had pretty rough video quality and the audio was bad enough that at times it was kind of hard to tell what anybody was saying so uh, it was just uh, as of the time we're recording this a uh, month or two back that Vinegar Syndrome put out a fancy new Blu-ray release of it oh, yeah. and uh, it's it's a beautiful thing to exist 
it is beautiful. Um, I haven't actually seen. Is the packaging good? The packaging is usually pretty. Yes. Beautiful. Uh, yes, it's very usually, nice. Usually you have the films like up here, but you didn't do it today. Yeah, I really fucked up. It's okay. But yeah, uh, we actually uh, were planning on covering a different film on this episode, but me and Jeremy were hanging out and we were like, oh, maybe we should check out this Naughty Victorians. And then we saw it and then after watching it, we knew that we needed to address the situation with this film. It's not the first time we've watched porn together, but it's the first time we've watched porn together and then made some sort of plan of action afterwards. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's a lot of different contexts that could be seen through, but uh, yeah, it was very interesting. You figure it out for yourself. So this film is very interesting in a lot of different ways. Um, a lot of the people involved <laughs> didn't have a whole lot of involvement in the in the porn industry. Uh, the director, Robert Sickinger, was a successful theater and TV director, but at this point uh, in his life, he actually hadn't even seen a porn film. But he was enamored with the book, The Way of a Man with a Maid. So he uh, was very interested in making an adaptation of it. When all was said and done, Hugh Hefner at the time said it was the most professionally executed erotic film. Uh, it looks good. It could have aired on the BBC. Yeah. Um, see, as part of uh, their normal programming. Uh, it's very interesting in the sense that much like uh, a lot of the BBC programming, but also a lot of the uh, theater work, which is what the director, Robert Sickinger, was mostly uh, associated with. Mm -hmm. uh, much like both of those, it's a very... Uh, most of the action is confined to one space. Right. Uh, so it definitely has that feel of those kind of uh, on-TV play yeah, productions. Even really like Doctor Who, because like, a lot of those sure. are they're usually confined to like one or two rooms throughout the thing. Um, it looks really good, but it also definitely has like the work of someone who's like rooted in theater or like television versus like cinema. Right. Right. Uh, which isn't a bad thing, but it's just a, a neat little uh, quirk of the film. Right. This film is interesting for a lot of different ways, uh, but let me take a step back and talk a little bit about the novel, The Way with a Man with The Way of a Man with a Maid. Oh, a man uh, needs a maid. Yeah, that's what Neil Young told me. Yeah, we talk about Neil Young a lot, but he's close to our hearts along with pornography, so that adds up. Right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that was, it's believed to have been first published in 1908. Uh, that's the first date that we have it confirmed to have been published. Mm -hmm. It's something kind of noteworthy that when we look back on erotic novels of the time, uh, the era was just as pornographic as later eras. Uh, even though we look back on that time frame as there being a lot of focus on class and uh, people being a lot more stuck up, there was a lot of very graphic uh, erotic work being put out at the time. Uh, in fact, the at the time, a lot of the work was more violent than most stuff today. And this was not the most graphic novel of the period, but there was a lot of, um, you know, uh, written pornography, we'll say, right. happening erotica, at the time. I think is when you write it, it's erotica. When you film it, it's pornography. There we go. Yeah. 
But uh, there's a lot of themes about like flagellation and incest and uh, rape and things yeah. like that. A and of, uh, and well, a lot of those things also kind of they kind of pop up in like gothic novels too, with like sure. um, what we talked about before, kind of like that being like the root of like some nunsploitation type stuff. Uh, yeah. But it's definitely, it gets more graphic as time goes on, especially into the, I guess after Desaad, some of the Desaad stuff gets published in like the mid-19th century and things like that. Right. So yeah, uh, it's it's interesting to note this focus on themes like incest, especially since this came out around the time that the British law against incest was originally passed. Oh. So it's uh, an interesting, perhaps, reaction to that. A protest. So, again, this was not the most graphic uh, novel of the period, but it is fairly graphic in a lot of different ways. Um, It was first adapted to film in 1920 under the title An English Tragedy. Hmm. It was definitely not quite as graphic as this film is. I can't imagine. Uh, There was another adaptation that came out the same year, 1975, uh, What the Swedish Butler Saw, which I haven't seen. No, it's... Do you know if that one's pornographic or... Uh, it's it's supposed to be softcore. Okay. I don't know at what level it right. is. See, this one's kind of... It's, it's a little hardcore. It's a little hardcore. It's got... It teases you with its hardcore sex. Right. There was also a more recent adaptation titled A Man with a Maid that I haven't seen, but uh, might be worth checking out down the line. Um, this film was produced for a fairly low budget... The director said it was probably under $10,000. IMDb said it was $70,000. I trust the director more so than IMDb. Mm -hmm. Uh, He noted that there were a lot of financial issues about the film, and the producer kind of tried to edge the director out of a lot of things. Um, The director says he got paid nothing for the film, and a lot of the crew didn't. The lead star, uh, Beerbone Tree who plays Jack, uh, said that he made sure that he was paid daily in cash, $250 a day. So he got paid. uh, And in interviewing Jennifer Jordan on the Rialto report, she she noted that she got paid or else, you know, she'd definitely remember that. So it looks like the actors got paid, but probably not the crew. There were a lot of ownership issues with this film, which is the reason that Uh, Up until recently, it was very difficult to find and uh, very low quality when it was. Um, During, you know, again, during production, the producer kind of urged the director out of the picture. And he said that he didn't have the original elements or even a good print of the film to use for a good home video release. So... Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have any of the details of what had to happen in order for Vinegar Syndrome to put it out, but they certainly did, you know, the Lord's work here in getting this out into the world. So that's pretty awesome. So there's a few interesting things to note here. So again, Bob Sickinger was the director. He seems very proud of the film. Uh, He said that he thought it was very good. He noted that afterwards he wanted to adapt uh, another similar work called The Governess or The English Governess, which was published by John Glasscock under a pseudonym in 1960, but 
it has a very similar uh, premise, but it's about a sadistic governess versus, you know, a sadistic man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, that never panned out. No, I was looking on his IMDb. It looks like he only has, like, two directing credits, and one of them's this. Right. And then one of them is something called Love in a Taxi, which doesn't seem to be pornographic. Right. But um, maybe it is. Another interesting name here is the uh, lead actor, Beerbone Tree, who plays Jack. Beerbone Tree. Um, He did not want to do any hardcore stuff in this film, so the scenes that are hardcore that he participates in, he says were uh, doubled by Mark Stevens. Um, But it's very well cut together to the point where you wouldn't necessarily notice it if you didn't know. Uh, but all the hardcore stuff, you can't really see his face in. Um, he did tell a story about how there is a scene later on in the film where uh, one of the actresses is playing with his penis and he uh, needed to have an erection there, but he had trouble getting an erection. So they gave him some sort of uh, horse pill used for mm-hmm. animal husbandry, we'll say. Sure. And uh, it eventually messed him up to the point where he ended up having to call it quits for the night because he was getting dizzy and stuff. So uh, that's an interesting thing, you know, in the pre-Viagra world. The right. You just take horse pills to yeah. get your dick up. <laughs> exactly. So that's interesting. Um, he did do five sex films, um, mostly softcore. Uh, he was in Gerard Damiano's Skin Flicks. Okay. So say we know Mark Stevens from mostly from uh, Angels in the Outfield, The Devil and Miss Jones. Right. Uh, he was, and of course, Mark Stevens was in a lot of films during the time frame. Right. Beerbond Tree did a lot of classic theater work. He studied ballet, did Shakespeare. Um, for a period of time, he lived in Italy and did voiceover work uh, for like English dubbing on Italian films. He spent some time in Hollywood and ended up moving to New York City in 1972. Uh, he was actually working in the Australian consulate during the day when he was filming The Naughty Victorians at night. He said he loved it as an acting role. When he read the script, he thought, oh, this needs to be a real actor doing this, and he wanted to put his name in there for it. But he seemed to be uh, big on standing up for himself and saying, I will do this. I won't do that. Mm -hmm. You're going to pay me every day. And uh, it's probably a good thing that he did demand to get paid every day because, again, a lot of people didn't get paid for this film. Right. He noted noted that a lot of the crew were people who were professional filmmakers working under different names. A lot of it was shot in a New York City loft, that being the Snuggery set, which we'll talk about in a bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, filming at night until 3 a.m. a lot of the times. There were definitely there was definitely a lot of money that went into the promotion of the film. Uh, they took out a full-page ad in one of the big newspapers. I believe it was the New York Times. And they had a big uh, promotion uh, for that, a big premiere that a lot of people attended uh, with Klieg lights and all that good stuff. One of the things that... Uh, he realized years later was uh, in the film he did Anyone But My Husband, uh, it does appear that he has actual hardcore sex with C.J. Lang in it, but he said that he didn't remember it happening and he must have been smoking a lot of weed at the time or something. (laughs) 
But uh, looking back uh, at the film years later, he realized that he actually did do hardcore sex in at least that film. So that's interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, that is uh, Beer Bone Tree. The film itself got a lot of positive reaction from a lot of critics, but um, not necessarily Roger Ebert, who said that it was absurd that people tried to say it was one of the best erotic films. He gave it a one-star review. Roger Ebert was not pleased with it. Roger Ebert fucking sucks. He does. Uh, he really shat on a lot of like horror and exploitation films. Yeah, he, he did. He did give praise to a few adult films, like I think Misty Beethoven. He gave a good review to, but largely he did not uh, like any of that. It's crazy that he this motherfucker wrote uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls and has the goal to like criticize like Sam Raimi for making like Evil Dead. Yeah, I mean, and it's really weird because Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is an excellent weird film yeah but like where do you where do you get off mr ebert yeah exactly <laughs> this film uh deviates with the novel a little bit there's a lot of the film that even up to the um up to the actual lines of dialogue mirror the book one to one but there is not an element of revenge at the end of the book, which we'll talk about a yeah. bit when we uh, go through the film and uh, I explain what I mean by that. But basically the film or the book version of this ends with the uh, women that Jack quote unquote sexually liberates um, <laughs> those women like thanking him for doing it. And that's basically the way that the book ends <laughs> uh, much like the, work of Desaad, it's not really uh, a morality tale in any way. It's no. pure filth, basically. Yes. Which we don't have necessarily a problem with, but I think this film adaptation, taking the turn that it did, uh, absolutely makes the film a lot better. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a good it's good old, it's good switch them up. Um, tricky do a good deet, 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 deet. Uh, Interestingly enough, Beerbone Tree and um, Susan Sloan, who plays Alice in this film, also both did a lot of singing at nightclubs around this period, and both of them would um, work a lot of the same clubs together, not necessarily performing together, but just, you know, on the same night working together, uh, which is an interesting thing for people that were also working in fuck films. <laughs> so, anyhow, mm -hmm. that's kind of the long and short of it. Um, but we will go ahead and dive into the naughty Victorians and teach you guys exactly how naughty these Victorians can be. Uh, anything you want to add? Um, no. Okay, uh, great. No. Okay. Well, we'll take a quick pause here, and then we'll be back to talk about the naughty Victorians. I don't like when people ask what I think. <laughs> <laughs> I do do some exercise from time to time. I find it relates to my larger purpose. What might that be, Jack? Your violation, my dear. My what? The surrender to me of your maidenhead. You must be mad to speak like this to me. I've waited one whole long year for this moment. You amused yourself with my heart. And now it is my turn to amuse myself with your body. Right, let's talk about a movie. Uh, I refuse to. Let's, okay, let's sing a little ditty about Jack and Diane. Oh, two American kids growing up in the heartland. Yeah. 
um, some doing the best they, they can. can. Yeah, Jack sucking on chili dog, some knees, some metamath, and my men sees. I don't oh, remember. Yeah. <laughs> Life goes on, sucking on chili dogs till the break of dawn. I don't remember the lyrics of the song moment to moment. Uh, like apparently you also don't. I know um, them. But just demonstrated. Is, it, is Jack sucking on chili dogs what ended up drawing Diane to him? Maybe Diane was sucking on chili dogs. Oh, yeah. I always thought that was like, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but I've never been sure. Um, that's more in the Reagan era. We have to go back almost a century, perhaps, to tell the tale we need to tell. Yes. To, to tell the tale that needs to be told. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the Naughty Victorians. Uh, again, the the book here was published in the Edwardian era, although uh, this takes this story takes place on April twelfth, eighteen seventy four. At least that's when it starts, because mm-hmm. it takes place over a period of time. So we open the film on a shot of a photograph of a carriage being driven by a man in top hat, and we get a bunch of credits. Uh, again, the director, Robert Sickinger, is credited as Robert S. Kinger. Uh, one of the other th- notable things in the credits you'll notice is that the uh, the music is credited to Sullivan of Gilbert and Sullivan. Yes. Uh, it's, I believe, public domain, so, you know. Yeah, take it. <laughs> Use it. The music does a lot to change the tone of this film because mm-hmm. this film could turn sinister at any moment, but the... Goofy music definitely helps yeah. keep it the, kind the, of upbeat. The light opera of Messrs. Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> Except they all, they, I think Gilbert must have wrote most of the lyrics. Because <laughs> it's all Sullivan music. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I noticed that there was like, I think they were French credits for it on the uh, Blu-ray. Yeah. And it was, on that it said Gilbert and Sullivan. But on the English credits, it said whatever Sullivan, whatever his first name is. I can't remember. Copyright law is a black bat of hell. (laughs) It's like meatloaf. It's a bat out of hell. It sure is. After the credits, the shot zooms out and we see the carriage being pulled by a horse. And we hear the words of a woman, Alice, who's played by Susan Sloan. She explains that the entire adventure began just three months ago. Again, that was April 12th, 1874. 84? 1874. Okay. I think you're right. Okay. Uh, I don't know. That's what I wrote down, at least, so it's probably right. I won't call into question the dates again. (laughs) It's not like Prisoner... In Prisoner of Paradise, I did go back to triple check and make sure that those dates were right, and yes, that... That, that is what the film said, even though the dates don't line up with World War II. No, they don't. Uh, not, not, like, by the year correctly. No. So, again, we get kind of this... Um, we get this introduction by Alice, played by Susan Sloan, um, and it's kind of the framework of the film is her riding around in this carriage telling about what's led up to this point. So we get our flashback uh, where we see Alice approaching Jack's flat. Jack is, of course, played by Beerbone Tree. In her voiceover, she explains that she and Jack had been engaged, but it had been terminated a week before because her father determined that Jack, a schoolmaster, 
was not a proper match for his daughter. So again, we kind of get our peek into this uh, late 19th century class uh, silliness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that like when when I was going to school and younger, we would talk about like literature from this period and and before and like class structure was like a huge thing, especially in like English literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, this stuff is silly. Classes aren't a thing anymore. You're, this doesn't make any sense. And boy, nowadays wrong. I feel like I was totally wrong about that. You were a fool. The lines have just been blurred, but they, it's still very much there. They tricked you. Anyhow. <laughs> been deceived. Uh, I digress. <laughs> so Alice approaches this home and knocks on the door. Uh, as we hear thunder rumbling. The sky seems very sunny, but I will admit that sometimes that happens where it looks sunny and then the thunder rumbles and then all hell breaks loose like minutes later. Spring storm. Yeah. So Jack answers the door and Alice talks to him. She gives him some letters and books of his that he had. Jack asks if she's alone and she says, yeah, her sister Marion isn't with her because she had a headache. So Jack invites Alice in, and Alice says she's in a hurry and has to get home. Uh, we hear thunder cracking again, and it starts pouring rain, which makes Alice panic. Uh, she asks Jack if she can borrow his umbrella, and he says sure, so he invites her in, and she comes in out of the rain. There's no umbrella. So, <laughs> <laughs> so after inviting her to come in, he invites her to come further in, but she says she'll wait there in the foyer uh, for Jack to get the umbrella. So Jack rummages around for a minute, but he apologizes, saying that he can't find the umbrella. Uh, Thunder cracks again, and Alice gets startled, and she knocks over a piece of, like, something ceramic, and it breaks, and she apologizes for it. Um, So because she's being startled by the thunder, we cut to Jack serving her tea and cucumber sandwiches. Which are very... What did you write down? I think she said decadent. Something like that, or (laughs) extravagant. Something to that effect. Which, I don't... Maybe they were <laughs> in the olden days. Uh, yeah, I don't have the context for cucumber sandwiches in the late 1800s. But uh, the thunder's still cracking every once in a while, and she's re- recoiling every time she hears the thunder. Uh, she notes that it's getting worse, and she notes that at this rate she won't be able to get home this evening, uh, she says in an anxious manner. Jack says, what seems horrid fortune often is a blessing in disguise. Uh, This film has a lot of excellent dialogue in it. Uh, I made some notes along the way, but really you guys have to see this to get the full experience because almost every line of dialogue is very clever and witty. Yeah, most of my, I think a lot of my notes are just dialogue notes. Right. So she keeps cowering at the thunder and notes that she's terrified of thunderstorms, so he invites her to take refuge with him in the snuggery. Yes, come into my snuggery, my lady, and see what delights ought wait ye. <laughs> uh, he's noting that the snuggery is soundproof and she won't be able to hear the thunder in there, so she ends up excitingly rushing in. So we cut to the inside of the snuggery. The lights are mostly out with some outside light coming through what appears to be kind of a, a smoky window. Mm-hmm. He notes that it's a private study for studying private things. Yes. 
We all have one of those, and usually use the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she notes that he was right, that she can't hear a sound in there. Uh, he explains that the place used to be a madhouse 50 years ago. Uh, she talks about how it's odd because he can't hear the sound of falling rain in there. Uh, and Jack knows, well, he doesn't care for it anyway. So he tries to lead her down the steps of the snuggery, but she says she needs to be going and the storm should be almost over. Jack insists that storms last 34 minutes, minutes. at least. Yeah, that's <laughs> science. The, the state of science in the Victorian days. <laughs> <laughs> so he urges her to go down the staircase into the snuggery, and she says it's so dark down there, so he uses a control panel in the wall, and uh, the lights come up. He notes it's that new electricity thing. Oh, electricity. She's very charmed by this. Yeah, she's very impressed, and so she ends up creeping down the steps. The room itself is decorated with very elaborate, era-appropriate-ish furniture and paintings. And ferns. She notes the padded walls, and he explains, well, they're original, but the cloth over them it was his idea. Uh, this very red cloth over yeah, it. Red very red velvet. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice looking for a madhouse. Yes. She notices his camera in the room. And he lets her look through a stack of photos. She says they're lovely and sits down in a chair to look at him. So Jack sits down in a chair across from her. She makes a comment about him always tinkering with mechanical things. Then she notices these ropes and pulleys across the ceiling and asks if this is his gymnasium. He says he does some exercise, but that serves a greater purpose. She asks what? And he replies... Your violation, my dear. <laughs> my what? The surrender to me of your maidenhead. Oh, this man loves maidenheads. <laughs> so, um, Jack is, uh, of course, speaking about his uh, desire to take her virginity. Mm -hmm. uh, again, he had been engaged to her previously, but uh, that was called off. So now he is... Taking a different approach, we'll say, yeah. uh, and is driven to get what he believes he is entitled to yeah, here. He's a man driven to extremes to collect the rare maidenhead. <laughs> so uh, Alice is shocked. She says that he's mad to speak to her like this. Jack explains, you amused yourself with my heart, and now it's my turn to amuse myself with your body. Alice tells him their friendship is suspended and asks him to call her a cab. Jack tells her that her screams won't be heard and she'll leave when he allows her to. He tells her he will give her two alternatives. Either you submit quietly or do you prefer force? <laughs> so he hits a switch and two ropes with leather wrist cuffs lower from the ceiling. So you'll, uh, you'll notice that this snuggery is a very... Advanced place. Mm -hmm. uh, according to Robert Sickinger and Beerbone Tree, uh, these gadgets and gadgets in this room were real oh. and uh, were a large portion of the budget of the film. That makes sense. Uh, designing all these uh, levers and uh, pulleys and uh, mechanical and furniture <laughs> and everything else. Uh, it is quite impressive. That's mm -hmm. a feat of engineering. So Alice calls Jack mad, 
Uh, Jack tells her she has three minutes. If by that time she has it willingly submitted, he says he'll take her by force. So we get an odd pause here where we get some shots of the room, these weird paintings on the wall, a cheetah head, a weird porcelain Asian doll. Yeah. So after a few moments, there's a bell that tolls, and Jack asks her again if she'll submit, and she says no. He says, Within the half hour, not only will you be offering yourself to me absolutely and unconditionally, but you will also be begging me to accept your surrender. She tries to run up the steps, but Jack blocks her. She hides behind a chair before trying to break away again, but he grabs her wrists and pulls them behind her back and then leads her over to the hanging wrist cuffs, which he starts to fasten to her wrists as she pleads. After she's fastened, he pulls up her dress a bit and sees the lower layers of her clothing. Mm, yes, her uh, finery. Yes. Yeah. The uh, of course this is this being the Victorian era, everybody has like fifty layers of clothing. Yeah. So by pulling up his her dress, he's not seeing her bare skin so much just yet. No. But uh, all the uh, pantaloons, uh, all those things that men still aren't supposed to be seeing. Yeah. He just wants that ankle. He tells her that she will be stripped naked. She again pleads. Uh, he puts her hat back on on her head. So something interesting that happens in this film mm -hmm. is throughout the film, there's a lot of putting hats back on. In fact, there's a lot of peop uh, a lot of women in this film that are nude other than some thigh-high stockings and a hat. Hats are erotic. Uh, I think it's an interesting look, and I, I appreciate it. They've always been a symbol of eroticism from the ancient days of uh, Egypt <laughs> until the modern day. The hat has symbolized sexuality of a woman. Oh, yeah. 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 Right? Yes. Okay. For sure. Okay, good. Go on. So he offers to let her loose to remove her clothes quietly, but then asks if he'll have to remove her clothes himself one by one. So he hits another switch, and it pulls her arms up over her head. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he circles around her and starts unfastening the back of her dress. He undoes one of her wrist restraints so that she can, he can pull the dress off around that arm and then uh, refastens the wrist. And then goes to the other side, unfastens the wrist, pulls the rest of the dress off, and then fastens it back up. Um, but again, she's in kind of an undergown of some sort. Uh, so he unties it a bit and exposes her breasts, and he says, Ah, the Himalayas. I don't think they're quite as impressive as a mountain range. But I will also say I was deceived quite often through this movie because the first time you see most people's breasts, it's when they have their arms above their heads which creates an illusion ah uh, yes of uh them maybe being less substantial than they are well and one thing to keep note here is it's possible that this is the first time jack's ever seen breasts you think so you think he set all this up before and he never saw any i mean this seems to be the beginning of this process for him because as he goes along he adds more to his harem yeah. And there's zero people in his harem here. Okay, that's fair. I mean, maybe it's not, but perhaps it is. Either way, he's pleased with them, and that's all that really matters. Yeah, it's all about him. It's all about Jack. 
So Alice starts pleading with him not to undress her and to have me as I am, as she says. Jack says that's not good enough. So he continues unbuttoning and removing her clothing. He says, as magnificent as a Ponticelli. He talks about native cannibals and asks how she would like that if, if she was eaten, basically, as he fondles her. He makes a comment about how he's not including her in the spectacle and tells her to hold on. So he runs upstairs and hits another switch and then four mirrors fold down from the ceiling, each of them like, you know, probably seven or eight feet tall. Yeah. And, uh, you know, four mirrors, one on each of the four sides of her. Right. So she can see her uh, nudity there. Um, This, again, apparently was a working contraption, so very impressive. Yeah, like I said, it's a marvel of engineering. Alice asks, how can you debase me like this? Jack says, no trouble at all. I simply pulled the lever. (laughs) He should probably put all his switches on one floor. <laughs> he yeah. runs up and down the stairs a lot. Yeah, and there are some switches on the bottom floor, right. but there are definitely times where he has to run up to the top floor for some of the switches. I guess electricity was new enough. Yeah, it's complicated, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I'm no electrician. So he opens up a cabinet and pulls something out, which ends up being a whip. He notes, I could fancy a whole room full of women hanging up just as you are now, like carcasses in a butcher shop. Mm-hmm. So he ends up undressing behind one of the giant mirrors. He asks, after threatening her with a whip, how old she is, and she says she's 25. He asks if she's a virgin, and she very quietly says yes. He asks her completely and fully or something to that effect, and she Mm -hmm. says yes. She asks again how he can talk to her like this, and he explains he only wants to know what she knows so he can learn what to teach her. He comes out from behind the mirror and says, Miss Alice, allow me to introduce you to John Thomas. And John Thomas here is his cock. Yes, the star of the film. (laughs) (laughs) So she looks away from him and he asks if her indifference is because she's seen so many John Thomases that she's not interested. He asks if she wonders if John Thomas will fit into, as he puts it, her holy of holies. Mm -hmm. So he tongue kisses her by force, uh, and then he sucks on her nipple and kisses his way down her body as she protests. He reaches her crotch and starts kissing and licking the area hard. The mirrors here give us some good angles because we can see from a couple different angles what's going on here. Uh, She's still struggling and occasionally saying no. So then he goes and pulls another lever, and a sex swing falls from the ceiling. Do you think he invented the sex swing? I think he had to, yeah. Yeah. No one else had done it until John Thomas. Yeah. His penis invented the sex swing. (laughs) It worked long into the night. Long and hard. Yeah. (laughs) He tells her that uh, that swing will take the weight off her arms, and so he straps her into it, and then he pulls a lever to raise it. So he gives her some oral while she's in the air. She's struggling a little bit, but then she slowly starts getting into it and relaxes. He ends up going back upstairs and hits another lever to uh, pull the mirrors back up into the ceiling. He uses another switch, uh, which leads to an almost couch-like bed, 
coming out of a compartment and rolling into the middle of the room. Um, And then he lowers her from the swing and ties her down, face down to this bed. So he rubs her butt a bit and tells her larger things have come out than what's about to go in. Which is a gross thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) Just imagining the size of her giant poops. Yeah, I would never say that as a foreplay to anal sex. No. Uh, I never have and never will. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't think about it. Um, She protests a bit. But he ends up uh, taking his cock and shoving it in her ass. Um, Pretty hard, ramming it in there. She kind of groans. But he finishes quickly and says, Paradise. (laughs) He then kisses her butt and her lower back a bit. He asks her if it hurt her. She says, at first, but not afterwards. And Jack says, good girl. He says, now you'll be rewarded. And he dives in with his mouth on her butt or vagina. So then we cut to another scene where Alice is in a room behind a curtain. And at first she's toweling herself off with a towel and some water. Jack is squatting behind a chair and peeking out to watch. Being a real creep for no good reason. Uh, I don't know. I imagine the way that I imagine this in my head is that Jack just got off, so he has to get hard again to continue with his perversions. So he's got a weird peeping Tom thing where he's just creeping behind the chair. Okay. And that's what's going to get him hard again to continue with his uh, violation. It's not just being a weirdo. Yeah. He has a, me- he has a purpose to it. I guess. I mean, he is being a weirdo, but not just. Right. Okay. So... Alice starts masturbating with the damp towel and rubbing her nipples, and then she switches to her hand. Uh, again, Jack's being a real creeper as we cut back and forth between him and her. He's been a creeper the whole time, but this is a different type of creeper thing. <laughs> so Alice finally seems to reach orgasm, and then Jack gets up. Uh, Alice walks out of the curtain room in a blue silkish robe, and she climbs back onto the bed. Jack walks over in a robe and says this is the moment he's been waiting for when she surrenders to him her maidenhead. She protests uh, and then she's like, well, she then is like, well, be gentle. But he says that he won't. (laughs) Uh, And he starts whipping the bed next to her to threaten her. There must be violence. (laughs) So he strips her and pulls her toward him. Then he tells her to wait a moment, uh, and then he goes back to the the camera and takes a picture of her open legs and vagina facing the camera. He says, this is my first photographic picture of a maidenhead. Thank you. <laughs> he gets close and says, that one is exquisite, my dear. He gives some more poetic talk uh, about... Uh, open pomegranate and all this other stuff talking about her vagina strapping good pickup lines for you to use (laughs) he licks it a bit and then he sticks his penis in and thrusts Mm. he says paradise lost and then pulls out so he doesn't actually fuck her at this point he just gets hard and then punctures her vagina and then I guess he's done at this point. Yeah, he's finished with her. 
So again, after his round of anal sex, he said paradise. And here, uh, breaking her hymen more or less, he says paradise lost. (laughs) Interesting. Yes. So we cut to a little bit later, and Alice is laying on the bed, and Jack is sitting in a chair uh, with a glass of wine or something. And they talk. And then Alice kind of climbs towards him and essentially wants more sex. Uh, She approaches his dong, and he tells her to keep her hands off. He says, I'm saving it for another occasion. She calls him cruel and tells him to come on. And then Jack tells her to beg. Then he tells her no after she starts to beg. He tells her now that she's not a virgin, he's not interested. (laughs) So she tries to put her mouth on his penis, but he knocks her on her back to the ground. um, And he stands up from his chair and lays back on the bed. She climbs on him and says, Jack, I'm Randy. (laughs) So they start making out and he rolls over onto her. And from there, he starts fucking her missionary. Again, it's a fairly short scene. He finishes quickly, and then he says, Didn't I tell you? Mark my words, within a half an hour, and he goes back to the speech that he gave her earlier where she was going to surrender him wholly and completely and all that. Uh, He quotes the whole thing back to her. Then he says, You can't beat a man with a plan. That's good advice because it rhymes. (laughs) Um, I think Jack is a student of the teacher. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like we haven't been talking enough about the teacher. We're going to, well, we're doing it right now. Uh, Thank you, teacher. Yeah. I just think he, you know, he comes from the same school of thought. Perhaps. I feel like the teacher was a little more consensual in his work. Yes. Well, perhaps it's just a heresy. Perhaps. We'll see. Jack's work is a heresy against the teacher. Well, yeah, not like necessarily against, but like he's perverted the teacher's teaching. He's he's abusing the tools that the teacher gave him. Yes. That makes sense. Yes, it does. Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, our listeners can't uh, see what just happened, which was Jeremy throwing his can towards the trash can and it bouncing out and just hitting the floor. It's because the can is full of garbage. Oh, yeah. So from here, we cut back to the carriage in the park, and we hear more of Alice's voiceover. She says, looking back, she can't believe how quickly she changed into a debauched sophisticate, a woman of the world, if you will. While she's talking, there's a man riding one of those uh, bikes with the giant wheel. Yes. Uh, It is humorous. She wonders if she had a latent erotic need that Jack awakened rather than created. But she does notice here that she wished her awakening was gentler. She says, as reluctant as she was in her first encounter, that was as willing as she was in our next. So from here, we cut back to the snuggery. Alice has brought Molly which she describes as her lady's maid, for a brief visit. So we see Alice showing Molly around the room at all the artwork and furniture, and she sees a stocks and asks what it is. Alice says that it's probably one of Jack's silly inventions. Molly notes that 
she thinks it's a stocks and Jack says it's not. Jack explains that it's a photographic brace since you need to be perfectly still to take a photo. Molly says she couldn't do that because she can't stay still. She notes that her mother said that she had ants in her pants. Jack says, ants in your pants, you say? Hmm. Jack offers Molly to try the brace, but Alice tells Jack that they have to go. As they go to leave, Molly grabs some chocolates from a dish on the way out. Jack says he saw that and immediately grabs his whip out of the grandfather clock at the base of the stairs. <laughs> Alice calls her bad, and Jack says now she's going to have to be punished. So Jack pulls Molly's hands behind her, and Alice hits the switch to make the cuffs drop from the ceiling. Molly protests as they cuff her hands in the cuffs hanging from the ceiling. She protests, but she's still eating the chocolate the whole time. <laughs> Molly says that she'll get the law on him. Jack notes, The law not only permits the spankings of wicked servants, but it also encourages it. She protests and Jack tells her to submit. Alice pulls Jack to the side and asks if she can be the one who undresses Molly. Jack agrees, saying that she's her servant and in a sense her property. Alice undressed Molly, once again unfastening one arm at a time to pull off the bulk of it and then stripping the rest as Jack looks on in delight. Alice says that she's lovely and tells Jack she's never touched a woman's breast or cunny before, <laughs> other than her own. Alice has pulled out Jack's dong and is slowly stroking it as she's talking to him. Alice tells him to watch her and if she doesn't do it properly, tell her. So Alice gets up, gets behind Molly, and starts rubbing her breasts as she protests. Molly scolds Jack for playing with his Hampton wicker like that, <laughs> as he's kind of stroking and watching. I'd say the subtitles on this kind of miss a lot of, like, the British slang. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why. but Yeah, I had the subtitles on, too, and I noticed that as well. Yeah. Um... Yeah, like, it says gunny, but I think it's supposed to be cunny. It absolutely is. Yeah. No uh, one calls it that. So, Alice goes to finger Molly and then stops, shocked. Molly tells her not to tell Jack. So, Alice walks over to Jack and tells him she's been had by someone. My finger went right in. Jack says, a woman without a maiden head? Alice, how could you? It's as if part of her is missing. So he gets up and whips at her, yelling about how this experience had been had by a member of the lower class, and it could have been him. He accuses her of not being clean, says he might get a disease from her. Alice whispers to Jack something she thinks he might be interested in about Molly, but we don't hear what she says. Mm -hmm. So Jack tells Alice to let Molly rest a moment and take off her own clothes in the meantime. Jack starts pressing Molly to tell him when it happened regarding her losing her virginity. She says it was when she was 17 and she notes that she was drugged. Alice has left the room at this time and Molly notes that she's afraid of Miss Alice. Alice walks into the room naked beside her thigh highs and of course a hat. Of course. Molly also still has on her thigh highs and a hat. Mm -hmm. Jack leaves the room to get ready. So Alice starts touching Molly's face and then her chest and breast slowly. 
Then she presses her breasts against Molly's and they start kissing. Alice tells her, Molly, you shall love me. Alice gets down on her knees and starts going down on Molly, and Molly starts slowly kind of getting into it. Jack walks into the room and pulls a lever that pushes the stocks out into the middle of the room. Then we cut from there to Molly in the stocks. Jack asks Molly how she got the nickname Birdie. So this is relating to what Alice told Jack in secret. Molly asks where Miss Alice is, and Jack tells her she'll be joining them shortly. And at that point, we cut to see that Alice is under Molly's legs. Jack asks her to confess that she was given the name Birdie because of a bizarre act she performed with Alice's gardener, Edward Bowles. Mm -hmm. He asks if it's true that she took this part in her mouth, of course, holding his penis toward her face. She says it's a rumor and a lie, and Jack insists that it's not, and if she keeps lying, he'll have to use the whip on her. (laughs) At that point, Molly says she'll confess if he lets her go. So at this point, Jack's satisfied with that and says that she has confessed and that she's a very good girl for telling the truth. He says further that the rumor was that she took all this and this too, uh, I'm assuming referring to both his penis and his balls. I think that's correct. He asked her, in the name of science and discovery, as he puts it, to perform the act here. He says, for it is a feat, if you don't mind me saying, I find difficult to swallow. (laughs) She says that she doesn't want to do it with Jack, only Eddie, her one true love. At that point, Alice uh, leans up and starts eating Molly out from the floor below, and Molly starts moaning. As she gets into it, Jack presents his penis, and Molly starts sucking on it. And she's sucking on it pretty deep and drooly. Yeah, they should call her this. Her nickname is Drooly. (laughs) (laughs) So we don't see her take his cock and balls in her mouth, but she does suck on it pretty good. And there's a shot where you can't really see what's going on, but her face is pressed against his crotch. Yeah. And Jack says, by Jove, she ate the whole thing. Um, so at that point, Jack unlocks the stocks and has Alice push her uh, down towards the floor. Jack says, Molly denied him the pleasure of her maidenhead. And then says, now you will surrender to me the maidenhead of your ass. <laughs> so he thrusts into her ass and she moans as Alice looks on. Uh, she gives this weird look of almost uh, displeasure at this point, even though she had been into it up to this. Yeah. Um, then we cut back to Alice's voiceover saying, um, talking about her newfound sexuality. Um, she says that her willingness at that point was replaced with total eagerness. So we cut back to the carriage in the park and she explains that the next encounter involved Lady Bunt, a woman of dubious morality. She says that she didn't dislike Lady Bunt, uh, because of her morality but more because she was a hypocrite and a fake. She pretended to be very proper and stuff, but really she was very flirtatious and not ladylike in the traditional sense, even though she pretended to be. Mm -hmm. So we then cut to a scene where we have Jack, Alice, Lady Bunt, played by Jennifer Jordan. Okay. 
uh, who was in a lot more adult films. She was more of a professional than the rest of the cast. Uh, right. It's well, a more common sex film mm. worker than the rest of the cast. Right. Um, and then also Heather Austin as Cecily, her mm-hmm. daughter, who has only this on her IMDb page. So, okay, uh, this was her film career apparently. <laughs> Good. Uh, she made her mark. She sure did. As they're walking around the snuggery, Alice notes that they had been invited over, and Lady Bunce is commenting on the furniture and being a little flirtatious with Jack. They're offered tea. Lady Bunt turns it down, but Cecily wants some. As uh, Jack is making tea for Cecily, Alice says, Mind he hasn't put any cantharides in it. Uh, talking about drugging the tea. Oh. Jack asks if Lady Bunt wants to try some tea to make sure, but Lady Bunt says, Never trust a man who lives alone. That's always been my motto. So she won't try his tea in fear, but she'll let her daughter try the tea. Yes. She's not a good mom. Uh, no. So Alice makes allusions to Bunt's thoughts being the only treacherous thing here. Uh, after, you know, Bunt makes that comment about not trusting Jack. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bunt says that the remedy for thoughts is exercise as she puts her hand on Jack's arm, again being flirtatious towards him. As Lady Bunt gets up and walks a little bit, uh, she runs her head into the wrist cuffs hanging from the ceiling. She asks what they are, and Jack explains they're part of his gymnasium setup. Yeah. She asks how, he, how uh, they work, and... Cecily notes that the setup is very elaborate. So he talks to them about it, and he puts their hands in the cuffs, and there's kind of a a wooden uh, grip that you can hold on to in it. Yeah. So both uh, Lady Bunt and Cecily are put into the cuffs, and uh, they kind of swing around a bit in them. Doing Uh, the old... You got a show. It's called the Cert Du Sex Swing. <laughs> it's new in town. Come down and see it. That'll be our new career. Yeah, the Cert Du Sex Swing. Yeah, we're gonna be sexy gymnasts, acrobats. Yeah, <laughs> suit and tie life's been holding me back. <laughs> it's time to swing. How old is Cecily? Do you know? No, it's not said. Uh, she appears to be young. How old is the actress? At least 18, I hope. Uh, I hope so as well. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. They definitely try to make her look like as young as possible. Like they make her kind of look like, um, like Alice in Wonderland sort of. Yeah. I assume that she would be a young woman, but, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't Uh know. This film, (laughs) this film has a twisted sense of morality. So I, I imagine that the actress is of age. That's good. That's all I really care about. So uh, the two women kind of swing around, do a flip, and have a little fun. But Lady Bunt eventually says she can't keep it up for long and asks Jack to let her go. Jack says, not just yet. Alice and I are going to have some fun with you and Cecily first. Lady Bunt says she doesn't mind a joke, but he goes too far. (laughs) Jack explains that this will help her understand their intentions, and he pulls up her dress... And she and Cecily scream. Lady Bunt starts pleading. Jack notes, if the rest of you is like what I just discovered, we're in for a banquet. Alice and Jack undress Lady Bunt fully, again, other than her hat and thigh highs. Yes. 
Molly and Alice, so Molly has joined the party. Uh, they pull off Cecily's drawers at Jack's command. And then Jack tells them to each grab one of her cheeks. Jack tells Cecily to watch as he's going to have fun with her mother. He explains if Cecily looks away for a moment, he'll command the other girls to give her a pinching she'll never forget. <laughs> so Jack is holding Bunt from behind and slides down, feeling her vagina. He stops suddenly with a surprised look on his face. He says that'll be enough for now. He walks over to the side where Alice and Molly whisper with him. He knows that he was impressed with Lady Bunt's vagina, and he says he wishes he were the man who had taken her maiden head. <laughs> uh, again, Jack's got a real one-track mind here. Yeah, but um, Alice calls him out on it this time at least. Yeah, Alice says, Jack, I swear you're obsessed with the taking of maiden heads. Uh, my note here was, no shit. Yeah, he's a real creep. Jack asks about Cecily, and Alice notes that she's intact. Jack says, superb. So the ladies undress Cecily. Uh, Bunt protests, saying they can do whatever they want to her, but leave Cecily out of it. Um, Cecily here has very hairy armpits. Yeah, um, she's hairier than you would expect. Yeah. Cecily cries out to her mom. Lady Bunt asks how he can be so cruel. Jack and the ladies leave the room to undress, and Lady Bunt and her daughter are still there tied up in the room. Cecily asks her mother what they're going to do. Lady Bunt says she can only guess, as she says, You and I will have to satisfy their lust. I'm afraid they will violate you and outrage me. Then they'll turn us over to the girls, and Cecily, my dear, I'm afraid the girls can be very cruel to their own sex. Molly and Alice come back in and start caressing them. Jack throws a switch that lifts both women off the ground and into the air, and then the bed slides out under them. Uh, Lady Bunt is lowered onto the bed as the mirrors come down. Mm -hmm. He tells Alice to fasten her arms to the bed and Bertie to get her legs. Cecily says, I thought her name was Molly. And Jack says sternly, we call her Bertie. <laughs> They finish tying Bunt down, and Jack asks the girls to tie Cecily to him on the chair of treachery. I love the chair of treachery. It's um, my favorite piece of furniture. Yeah, I definitely need to get a chair of treachery. That recliner you have hurts my back sometimes when I sleep in it, so that's pretty close. Yeah, that's very treacherous. <laughs> so they tie her hands to the chair while she's sitting on Jack's lap in the chair. Jack asks Alice to open the box of imagining tortures. Okay. Uh, they get feathers and boas out and start to tickle Lady Bunt with them. Jack's using one to uh, rub on Cecily. Uh, Bunt thrashes about and Cecily says to stop it and Jack tells the girls to be gentle. Jack feels Cecily's vagina and starts to compliment Lady Bunt on her daughter's virginity. Cecily starts protesting again. He has the girls come over and tickle Cecily with the feathers, and she finally says she'll do anything he likes. He says that, well, you must do exactly as I tell you to yourself or anyone in the room. So he has the girls unfasten uh, Lady Bunt's arm and leg, just one of each, mm -hmm. and then commands everyone to pleasure themselves. 
One of the girls forces Lady Bunt's head into place, and basically the girls get in this triangle formation, that being Molly, Alice, and Lady Bunt's. Uh, where they're all going down on one another in a triangle mm-hmm. on the bed. Yes. Jack, uh, meanwhile, has Cecily stroke him. He says something about the art of figging, maybe? Uh, I, yes. I, with the subtitle, like I feel like I heard figging the first time, and the subtitle's different. I don't think, I don't know that it's figging, because I know figging is, is a it, thing that's yeah. not that. No, right. I think it, it might just be some reference to uh, manual stimulation, perhaps. Yeah, they're, they're just learning to jerk each other off. Yeah, I'm not 100% up on my Victorian... Uh, sex slang. Sex slang. Well, it's okay. We didn't read... Uh, we should have read, read The Way with a Man with a Maid. We might have had time if you hadn't decided like last minute we were going to do this one. Well, I, I meant more we should have done that when we were in high school reading a bunch oh, of stupid yeah. literature. Instead of Lord of the Flies. Yeah, instead oh. of reading The Scarlet Letter, we should have read The Way of a Man with a Maid. Yeah, my life might have been easier. I would have been a lot more able to get over the old-timey writing that was in stuff like The Scarlet Letter if it was about a bunch of debauchery. That's true. So as uh, Cecily is stroking Jack's dick... Uh, and I believe this might be the scene where he's taking horse pills, so he's got an erection. Right. Alice and Lady Bunt start 69ing with uh, with Alice on top. So there's this wonderful shot where Lady Bunt has this little magnifying glass oh, yeah. on a chain around her neck. And then she pulls the magnifying glass up in her hand and uses the magnifying glass in front of her eyes to look at Alice's uh, vagina and asshole up front yeah. that's in her face. And she's just looking at it like, ooh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> she looks like you just asked her from, like, Grey Poupon or something like that. <laughs> she's very high class. So we're cutting back and forth with Jack and Cecily manually pleasuring one another and the girls on the bed uh, giving each other oral. Uh, and eventually, after cutting back and forth enough times, Jack finishes. Jack tells the girls to unfasten Cecily and notes that she's learning properly. Uh, Jack tells uh, Cecily to do the same to her mother. Cecily protests, but Jack threatens to tie her to her mother and spank her bottom so hard that your movements will make her spin. <laughs> So Cecily gets on the bed, and she and Lady Bunt start to make out and caress one another. Jack says, Cecily, go down on Mommy. <laughs> oh, boy. I think this is the first intentional incest we've had. Like we've, yes. We've yeah. had, you know, like, accident. Um, yeah, Pretty Peach has had accidental incest. Yes, this is very much, it's directed. And... I mean, it's it, it's not necessarily willing yeah. But it is, I guess, intentional in the sense that they know what they're doing. Right. Uh, but it was certainly uh, coerced. Yes. As all the sex in this film is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Birdie's blowing Jack as Alice caresses him and they watch uh, Lady Bunt and Cecily. Jack commands them to untie Lady Bunt and tie her onto the chair of treachery. <laughs> Jack walks over to the bed where Cecily is now tied down. In the voiceover, Alice says that she 
at this point realized that Jack hadn't just awakened their sexuality. Rather, he was using us, all of us, to satisfy his animal desires. No shit. So as Bunt watches on, strapped to the chair, and she yells, the two girls hold down Cecily's arm as Jack prepares to take her. As Bunt yells, Bertie puts Bunt's hat back on her. At this point, Alice in her voiceover notes that she decided that she needed to exact revenge. Something elegant, complicated. We see Jack slide his penis into Cecily and start fucking her. And there's a wipe. And there's a wipe. <laughs> we cut back to the carriage as it's stopping. Alice talks about she's not a vengeful person, but it notes, among other things, it's not so nice hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. I like that scene where she kind of just ends her narration by like directing it like directly at the audience. Yeah. That was good. We cut to a scene where Jack and Alice are sitting together lounging and watching these erotic slides in a projector. We see two women riding two dongs side by side. Uh, and Jack and Alice are smoking like a hookah thing. Yeah, opium, perhaps. Oh, perhaps, yeah. So Alice asks Jack if tying her up on that first day gave him pleasure. Jack says, yes, of course. Alice asks if she can play the same game with him. Jack asks what she means. She explains that she'll tie him up and give him pleasure in her own way. So we cut to her tying him up as he protests kind of playfully. The funny thing is in this scene, he keeps quoting things that the other women had said to him earlier. Like uh, when Lady Bunt said, I appreciate a good joke, but this this goes too far. Mm -hmm. Uh, she says that. He, he says a few of the other things that the women yeah, earlier had like said. They kind of turn all the dialogue back around on him. But of end. course, he's being playful because he feels like he's still in control of the situation. Right. Um, whereas, you know, the women earlier were protesting very uh, literally. Mm -hmm. As this happens, we see Molly, Lady Bunt, and Cecily slowly walk in one by one. And Jack is like, What's going on? What are you doing here? And he starts getting upset and demanding answers, but they stay silent. Alice tells him to relax. Alice tells the other girls about all the poetic things he said about vaginas, the weird comment about a pomegranate and all of that. And a couple of the girls mention things that he said about them as well. Um, Jack tells the girls to come closer and he'll have them one by one. <laughs> So, at that point, we see three men peek through a curtain in a Three Stooges sort of manner, one on top of the other, right. almost. Did you know the Victorians were this naughty? I did not. What would you think they did? Um, I thought that they uh, had a lot of tea parties and balls, and then occasionally they butt-fucked one another in private. Oh, yeah. That sounds about... It's kind of what happens <laughs> in this movie a little bit. A little bit, but uh, things go a little bit further than I imagined. Things go There's awry. a lot more... Uh, There's a little more butt-fucking. Yeah. I'm called Little Buttercup, dear Little Buttercup. Oh, I could never tell why. You know that song? No. It's at the end. It's what plays over the credits. That's Gilbert and Sullivan. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the three men are identified as 
Jack's students, Hazley, Peters, and Prince Sackway. Uh, he asks what they're doing here, and they walk over to him. Alice explains that it's time for Jack to get his just due. Jack protests as these are his students. Um, there was a comment earlier in the oh, film yeah. about, um, you know, before the nature of the snuggery was uh, established, mm-hmm. um, I think it might have been Alice at the beginning asked if her if he had brought his students here, and he he like emphatically went, "No, I would never bring my students here." Was it her? Or was it Lady Bunt? It could have been either. I don't but remember. Yeah, for he's sure. like, you think I let my students come over and play with my equipment? Yeah. <laughs> Alice explains that she invited them to join and witness in the taking of his maiden head. He says, I don't have a maiden head. Peter says, you do, sir, and it's peeking at me right now. Oh. Alice pulls out uh, Prince Sackway's dong, the uh, black gentleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's noted that at this point in history, there were there were... I wouldn't say a lot, but there were there was a presence of uh, rich African students in mm-hmm. England, and for some reason, uh, Beerbond Tree uh, demanded that this particular actor be the person in this scene. Oh, um, and it he... might be it might be like a uh, commentary on colonialism and it revenge of that. Yeah, or he might have just been like, "Oh, let's get this big black dong in here." <laughs> I it don't know. Been, yeah, who knows? Uh, it works either way. Yeah, either way, it's great. So she pulls out his dong and he says, "Thanks, Miss. It hurts when it's all pent up inside." <laughs> Jack says, "Oh my God." The guy says he's sure Jack hadn't forgotten all the canings and floggings he gave to the boys in class. They pull Jack to the ground, lowering the cuffs. Prince Sackway says, in case he did, here's a reminder. And he gets behind his ass and pulls his cock up, ready to enter. Alice tells him to stay still because she's operating the camera. The girls look on in approval, smiling. Prince Sackway uh, starts fucking Jack. Mm-hmm. The girls look on in an approving manner, smiling. Alice says that this is the moment they've been waiting for, the moment he becomes a man. As Prince Sackway is penetrating Jack, Alice takes a picture, and so Prince Sackway is fucking Jack while the other two hold his arms, and Alice says... My first photographic picture of a maiden head. <laughs> she kisses her fingers in approval, and we get a freeze frame in the credits. Perfect. So those Victorians were awfully naughty. And they got what was coming to them. Uh, yes, they did. Yes. All right. So uh, that was quite a wild ride. Uh, give us just a moment here. We're going to take a quick break and give our final thoughts on the naughty Victorians. For God's sake, who gave you permission? I did. You had your folly with us, dear Jack. It's time you got your just due. Whatever do you mean? Exactly what I said. Alice, this is disgraceful. They are my students. I invited them to join and witness in the partaking of your maidenhead. Are you mad? I possess no maidenhead. You do, sir, and it's peeking at me right now. Peters, how dare you speak to me like that? Steady, sir. I'm sorry, sir. I suppose it isn't really cricket. What you have just said could cost you a thousand lines. Forget your position, sir. <laughs> I went to the basement and there was nothing else there to drink but White Claws. So, 
After two margaritas and two other White Claws, you're like, eh, let's do more White Claws. You want to split it? Nah, I'm good. Okay, well, I'll drink it then. My two margaritas were enough. I don't need to throw White Claws on top of it. It's all just swimming around in my belly. <laughs> we gotta, We got to be able to finish this podcast without blacking out. Okay, well, let's go. All right, well, uh, we're back here to give our final thoughts on the Naughty Victorians. So, as is tradition, I'll turn things over to our resident film critic, Jeremy, to give his thoughts on the Naughty Victorians. Smashing good show, governor. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. the setting and the the theme of it all. Um, I do think uh, specifically tacking kind of a revenge element on to the rape made it a lot more palatable as a film. Yes. Because there are some scenes that are erotic but uncomfortable, I would say, throughout. Like, it never becomes thoroughly uncomfortable to watch. But right. you just as you just kind of... Maybe it's a little bit just kind of sitting there squirming in your skin while it's happening, but they wrap it up nicely. Um, but you know, all around a well-made movie. Uh, the dialogue is superb. All the acting really is just fine. Mm-hmm. Direction's good. Like I said before, it kind of looks like a made-for-television play a little bit. Yeah, I could see that. Um, which is quite nice. In its way, um, I don't really think I have like any negative criticisms of it or anything to say as far as that. I'm sure I could think of some, but really, I just enjoyed it all around. Both times I watched it, yeah. Um, I'm gonna go the complete anti Ebert. I think it is one of the fine erotic films. Yeah, uh, I think he was just being a jackass. <laughs> um, I love it. Four out of five. I'm going to flip it over to Boss. All right. Um, well, I had a score in my head, and it was also four out of five, so mm. that's excellent. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I think that it's important to talk about the change from the original to this in the sense that it has that revenge scene at the end, which was not in the original source material and it drastically changes the way that the film kind of ends. Well, obviously it changes the way it ends. But it drastically changes the tone of the film overall. As a morality tale, it works because, you know, the bad guy got his comeuppance in the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally in the yeah. end. Yeah. Um, right in his butthole. Exactly. It's, it's interesting because, you know, if we go back to that Pretty Peaches episode, I talked about how... Um, the non-consensual sex aspect of it made me uncomfortable in a lot of places in the film, even though I did appreciate and like it and give it a good review. Mm -hmm. Um, it was definitely something that was on my mind throughout the film. Uh, interestingly, I would say that the sex in this film is less consensual than the sex in Pretty Peaches. Oh, yeah. Uh, in fact, there is not any consensual sex in this film. Not a, not an act. (laughs) But at the same time, this film is just so wacky the whole way through. Yeah. When you go through the things such as all the wild contraptions in Jack's uh, snuggery, Mm -hmm. um, the fact that there's a bunch of things that are branded like the snuggery itself, the chair of... uh, Treachery. The chair of treachery. The Um, chest of imaginative tortures or whatever. 
<laughs> right. Um, which is just a bunch of feathers. The Box of Imagining Tortures. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate the branding. It's funny. Yeah. The Gilbert and Sullivan soundtrack is hilarious. Um, it changes the tone as well. Mm-hmm. And all the witty dialogue along the way. Definitely. Uh, it all helps you not take seriously the fact that there's just a bunch of rape happening one after another. Mm-hmm. So that definitely helps. Um, but just from a filmmaking standpoint, it's very well executed. Uh, for a film that has very little hardcore sex in it, it is still incredibly transgressive and wild. Yeah. And there's so much weird stuff that happens that it's just absolutely fascinating the whole way through. Um, the focus on period costuming, um, class systems, um, there, there's a lot of under-the-surface themes being yeah. explored here. Um, but on top of it, there's just a lot of humor and weirdness to it all. And it all gels together into a complete package that's hard to deny as a really great film. Uh, I do want to note that apparently Screw Magazine, uh, when writing about it, said that it was the sort of film you could take your wife, mother, or grandmother to introduce them to adult films. Wow. I thought this comment was baffling. Yeah, I don't know that I would take anyone in my family to see this. But somebody moving back in with my parents, maybe I'll get my mom to watch the Naughty Victorians. <laughs> I'll let you know. We'll have like an updated episode, and I'll let her come over and talk about what she saw. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. Me and a friend were watching Black Swan at her house about a decade ago at uh-huh. my mom's house. And she came home... And first, after accusing us of smoking pot, which we had, <laughs> and she just settled in to watch the movie, which was a crazy one. Is it Mila Kunis or is it Natalie Portman? Who, I've never actually okay. seen it. I need well, to. I want to. I'll probably lose, like it. Yeah. One of them is losing their minds and masturbating. Just <laughs> as like a scene. And mom says, wow, she's really touching herself now. <laughs> um, so I'm. If we want, I'm expecting a lot of comments like that if I end up making her watch this. Uh, this will be great. I hope that going forward, uh, as we do the raincoat report and you're living with your mom, you get you force her to watch all kinds of weird stuff. I think I will. I made her watch all three Stepfather films. <laughs> which, they get worse, if you can believe it. I have not seen any of them. The first one's pretty good. The second one is okay. The third one... Uh, they get a different actor and he like meets a woman at church during an Easter dance. And there's no such goddamn thing as an Easter dance. <laughs> is that, is that not something you had? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. But yeah, there were several, uh, regardless of that odd comment by screw magazine, there were several reviewers who noted that it was a step forward in integrating hardcore and mainstream films, mm-hmm. uh, which was a narrative that was creeping up at the time. Uh, when you talk about that porno chic era, of course mm-hmm. you had Deep Throat and Beyond the Green Door and stuff like that, kind of increasing the popu- popularity of adult films. But there was definitely a push at that time to make adult films more mainstream as time goes on. And uh, certainly the opening of Misty Beethoven's one of those films that 
gets talked about a lot in that sense. But really, this film, like from a filmmaking standpoint, you know, it's a very well-made film. And the fact that, you know, there's not a ton of incredibly explicit, like close-up, balls-bouncing, hardcore sex in this film... I could see that in some ways being more palatable to a mainstream audience, but the absolute insanity, all of the incest and rape and all of that, I I can't imagine this getting that mainstream success. Let's show it to, um, let's show it to, uh, Aunt Beanie. (laughs) (laughs) Dear God. She would be howling the whole time. Like just, just, (laughs) she would not like it. She uh, would not. But, yeah, I'd say four stars out of five. Don't take your mom to see it. <laughs> I think that that is a, a good a good choice. Yeah. Don't bring your mom. Yeah, this is, this is not the one to uh, change things in the eyes of the unconverted. <laughs> Any final words on the Naughty Victorians? Yeah, um... Arthur Sullivan didn't agree to any of this. <laughs> he would be shocked and appalled by your filth. I'm sure they would. Uh, I'm sure he would. Yes. Um, so again, this was released just recently on Blu-ray by Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, I recommend people check it out if you're into weird filth. Uh, it's a uh, great film and uh, needs to be seen more. Um you know, it might not be for all tastes, especially, you know, how rapey it is, as we've covered along the way. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you've gotten this deep in the episode, you know that already. So, you know, caveat emptor. What's that, Spanish? Uh, I think it's Latin. No, Latin's a dead tongue. We don't talk in it. All right. So, once again, uh, follow us on Facebook. Or, not Facebook. Don't follow us on Facebook. Don't go to Facebook. Never go to Facebook. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is going to take your information. and uh, He's going to fucking print your information out and rub his weird dick on it. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, but on Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us at Raincoat Report. Instagram is owned by Facebook, so whatever. Yeah. (laughs) RaincoatReport at gmail.com for our email Rate, review, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends to follow us. Once again, for Jeremy, this is Boss. Inviting you to help us keep 42nd Street alive. And don't forget your raincoat. I need you to finish this White Claw. I can't drink any more of it. <laughs> uh, I guess I will. Okay. Good night. He says as he finishes the White Claw. <laughs> or I guess not finishing it. But you take You took another giant swig. It was a sip. It was a giant sip. Okay. I guess it, it might not be in swig territory, but it was definitely at least a giant sw- sip. It's cold in the middle. <laughs> now finish it. Uh, yes, sir. Thank you. That's right. I'm, s- I'm your boss. <laughs>